About 13 years ago, I was on my way back from uh, one of the many missions trips that I had, and uh, this time I was coming back from India, and we'd had a fantastic time, and uh, as I was reflecting on what had happened, I did what most of you will do, and I flicked through the movies that were on the plane, and uh, I found one that I thought was um, going to be a really, really good one, and it was called Men of Honour. And so I, I watched it, and man, it was, a, it was just an absolute uh, fantastic film. It was about the first black person to become a US Navy uh, master diver. And I thought, wow, this, this film's going to be absolutely brilliant for our men's group meeting, which will be coming up in um, a month's time. So when I got back, I got the video out and came to the men's group, and um, we watched it on that men's night. But what I didn't know was that the version of the film that I had watched on the aeroplane was the sanitised version of the film. And all the swearing and all the other bits and pieces had been taken out of it. And um, we were watching this in the church, and um, this <laughs> was, um, had some of the crudest, foulest language I have ever, ever heard. And what was worse, what was worse was that um, one of the guys had come along for the very first time, <laughs> who had, um, had come from another church, and uh, he brought his whole family to, to the church the previous Sunday, and he'd come to the men's group, this is his first men's group meeting, well, he walked out before half time, and I thought, oh man, I was just absolutely so embarrassed, I had to make lots and lots of personal apologies, I, I rang this guy up, and um, I'm pleased to say that the, um, the new guy actually st stayed in the church and actually ended up on our board. And uh, so that was fantastic. But, but what I learned, apart from the need to check out all videos before showing them in church, is that the language of honour is different in the world than it is in the church. And the concept of honour is different as well. Outside of God's kingdom, honour is earned and we honour upwards. Uh, and that's also shown up in the uh, latest film to hit our screens, Hacksaw Ridge, which is the true story of Desmond Doss. Uh, he was a Seventh-day Adventist. He was the first conscientious objector to receive the America's highest award, the Congressional Medal of Honour. And uh, it's a um, pretty bloodthirsty film, very, very real, but incredibly inspiring, and tells the true story as to how this man, without a gun, saved 75 men, one at a time, uh, in the battle on Hacksaw Ridge. And he became a fantastic uh, hero. And in fact, you can, uh, you can Google uh, Desmond Doss and you can have a look at This Is My Life and how they uh, presented his life and absolutely, absolutely fantastic. He really earned his Medal of Honour. But in the Kingdom of God, as we saw last time, we should honour up, but we should also honour down and we should honour sideways 
and as we saw, we should treat everyone with honour. And honour isn't earned. Respect is earned. But honour should be given freely. Honour, as we saw last time, means to promote, to elevate someone's status, to take someone from one level to another, to give prestige, to give respect, uh, admiration, to add weight to. The Greek word timē, which is the term used that we translate as honour, is used to determine the value of coins by weighing them. And so the greater the weight of your coins, the greater the timē, the greater the value. And so when we honour someone, we are giving them more value. And honour isn't just something that we say. A a culture of honour will affect the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we act. Because honour is a foundational value in the kingdom of God. Every kingdom has a culture. Every kingdom has a way of operating. And those of you who have travelled overseas widely will, will know that every nation that you go to, things are a little bit different. I mean, in New Zealand and Australia, uh, in, in one part, a thong is a jandal. In another part, a thong is a minute bathing costume. So um, you wouldn't want to say, take off your thong in the wrong place. You know, you need, every place is different. I found out this, and I was reminded of this when I was talking to um, the Derezes the other day uh, about my visit to Chile in 1990. We'd flown into Ch- Chile. I was taking over the church in Vina del Mar for three months while the missionary pastor was back in New Zealand, and it was a great honour to be able to minister in this church. It was the very first church planted on the west coast of South America. So the first night that we're there, I noticed that things were different. First of all, I noticed that people drove on the opposite side of the road than what we did. And so being a man who likes to be well prepared, I decided I'd take my family for a drive at the quiet time in the evening. Now, we were staying in, on a hill in Vina del Mar, which had one route down and one route back. In fact, it was, um, we were 100 metres away from the President's Summer Palace. That's where the church had their, had their manse. And so I bundled the um, kids into the car and Penny and I set off. First thing I noticed was that the indicator were on the wrong side. And so many times the windscreen washer went on when I went to be indicating. So anyway, I thought, all right, six o'clock at night, quiet time, we'll drive down the hill and uh, we'll go for a little bit of a drive around and then come back. Well, I didn't know. Vina Del Mar, six o'clock at night, rush hour traffic, peak traffic. Three lanes on our side, three lanes on the other side. I come down into this, didn't have a clue where we were going. In fact, I couldn't go where I wanted to go because there was a policeman, a pointsman on duty, and he was ushering me to go right. 
And so I just had to go with the flow. Well, we ended up going the wrong way down a um, one-way street. The kids were so embarrassed that they were hiding behind the back seat. <laughs> they wouldn't stick their heads up. I went over the pavement. I did everything that I shouldn't be doing. It was an absolute nightmare. And finally, after about, um, after about an hour and a half, my 10-minute trip back finally ended. And I was just, I was so pleased <laughs> to be back in the safety of that manse and wondering whether I'd ever stick my head outside again. But the reality is, it was different. It was different. And they, they drive differently. They use their horns as an indicator. Isn't that right? So, so when someone's beeping at you, they're not mad at you. They're actually, they're indicating. They're helping you. Uh, their culture was just completely, completely, completely different. God's kingdom culture is different to the culture of this world. Jesus said when we pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God wants the culture of his kingdom, the way he does some stuff in heaven, the values that are important in heaven, he wants them to operate on earth. Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And God wants the atmosphere of heaven to come to earth. He wants the culture and the values of heaven to come to earth. He wants the way that we live here to reflect the values and culture of heaven. And Jesus showed us what the values and the culture and the way of living of heaven is actually like. Through Jesus, there was a release of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into everything he said and everything he did. There was unlimited provision, even down to the little things like paying the taxes. Wouldn't you like to have that word from God? You're just about to fill out your tax form, and you hear this whisper in your ear. Go down to the wharf. First fish you catch is going to have a gold coin in it, and that'll be enough to pay your taxes. Wouldn't wouldn't you love that? Well, it was better than the last lot of fishing that I did because <clears throat> I ended up um, contributing more to the sea than I got back. <laughs> there were healings. People were delivered of demons. The dead were raised. Jesus interrupted every funeral that he went to. The glory and the power of God was manifest. God wants people here to experience abundant life. He wants us to experience his peace. He wants us to know the presence of God. He wants us to experience heaven on earth. But for that to happen here on earth, the founding principles, the values of heaven need to be the principles and the values that we build our lives on. There are keys that unlock the flow of heaven. And one of those keys is honor. There is a connection between honor and an open heaven, and the power and provision of God, as we saw last time. Romans 12, verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Peter 2, verse 17, honor everyone. You know, God honored 
us before we even knew him and before we honored him. In God's kingdom, everyone has honor, not because of what we do to earn it, but because of who we are in God's eyes. And God, through Jesus, affirmed his honoring of mankind. And the writer to Hebrews confirms this when he says in Hebrews 2 verse 7, you made them, that's us, that's mankind, a little lower than the angels, you crowned them with glory and honor. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you know that a crown of glory and honor has been given to you? A crown of glory and honor. Every person on this planet has been created by God and has been given glory and honor. And when talking about the kingdom and kingdom values and kingdom priorities and the way the kingdom operates, Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 15, which we call the story of the prodigal son. But it's actually about the father. It's about father God. It's about a father who has two sons. One of the boys decides to dishonor his dad and ask for his inheritance before his dad's even dead. And the father amazingly says yes and lets him go. The boy takes his dad's hard-earned money, runs off, wastes his inheritance on riotous living, spends it on parties, spends it on prostitutes, and when the boys run out of money, he ends up getting a job feeding pigs. And this has got to be the worst, lowest job ever for a Jewish kid who wasn't allowed to touch pork. And then Jesus said, said when the boy came to his senses, the boy said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I'll set out, I'll go back to my father and say to the father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, this is a parable about God's response to our rejection of him. We're the ones who shot through with our inheritance. We're the ones who wasted our lives. We're the ones who dishonored the Father. But Jesus told this parable not to highlight the sins of the Son, 
but more so to bring out the heart of the father who every day was waiting, looking for his son to come back. And when he sees his son, before his son can even blurt out the words, I'm sorry, the father has run towards him and has wrapped his arms around about him. And that's what it's like when we come back to God. That's God's heart. He, as soon as he sees us turning around, as soon as he sees us moving back towards him, he runs out to greet us. And he smothers us with his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness. But it's interesting, when the boy says sorry, when the boy says, I've sinned, the father honors him. He puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe around him and sandals on him. And the robe covers his condition, covers the smell of his sin. And we know that Jesus covers us with a robe of righteousness. He puts a ring on our fingers, which is symbolic of restoring the boy's authority in the father's household. And he puts sandals on his feet, showing the way the son, the father wants the son to walk as a son and not a slave. Only the slaves had bare feet, but the sons had sandals. And so that's the way that God treats us. Regardless of our condition, God is always waiting to love us, forgive us, and honour those who are willing to say sorry and reach out back to him. Honour comes first from our Father God. And when we realise that, we'll want to bless him and we'll want to honour him back. But honour starts in us with a change of mind. The Apostle Paul says, we're on the pass it on business. He says, for I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you. And in Philippians 2 verse 3, Apostle Paul says to the church at Philippi, says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. How many people find that hard? Come on. Besides me. Yeah. Well, I'm the only, am I the only one here <laughs> that finds that hard? Basically, most of us, if we're really honest, find valuing others above ourselves hard. And that's because of the condition of our hearts. It goes on and says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, here's the key, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. We are so... culturally set up before we know God, before we have learnt to, to know Jesus Christ, that the values that we take into our new life are often the values of the world. And in the world, the world values giftings. They value uniqueness. And while every one of us is different, the reality is you are 99% the same as the person next to you. Even if you're sitting next to a woman, guys. 
Your DNA is 99% the same as the DNA of the person next. There's only 1% different and 99% the same. Now, we celebrate differences, but we've got to recognize that God has made us all to love one another. But it needs a change of mind for that to happen. And Romans 12 verse 2 says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, in the J.B. Phillips translation, he says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And that's a pretty good picture. Before we, need to, before we come to know Jesus Christ, we are, we are squeezed into the mold, into the culture, into the values, into the way of doing things that the world around about us does. And so when we come to Jesus Christ, we have to learn a new way. We have to learn new values. We have to learn a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things. When you are born again of the Spirit of God, you are immediately translated from, light, from darkness into light. Things change. You go from eternal death to eternal light. There's a whole pile of things that change. But there's a bunch of things that don't change straight away. You look the same most often. You still have a lot of the same way of thinking. Although I remember when I was born again, suddenly it was like my eyes were opened and I began to see things in a different light, from a different perspective. But the reality is, one of the things that we need to work on is changing our thought patterns so that we begin to think the way that Jesus thinks. And in this one he says, be transformed by the renewing of mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's the pattern of heaven, not the pattern of this world, that we need to conform to. And it's never too late to change. Ephesians 4.22. You were taught, and this is how you change. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. How do you know whether your desires are deceitful or not? How do you know whether your thinking is off the mark? How do you know whether your thinking is worldly or godly? How are you going to test that? You've got to have a standard. You've got to have some way of comparing and the standard that we have is the Word of God. So what we should be able to do is if we are reading the Word of God and we are looking at the way that Jesus lives, the way that Jesus thinks, the way that Jesus does things, and we should be able to take that and we should be able to compare it to the way that we think, the way that we do things. And most often if we do that, we're going to find that the way that we think and the way that we do things is different to the way that Jesus does things. Isn't that right? So first step, you've got to have something to compare it. Get into the Word of God. See what the kingdom values are. See what the kingdom way of thinking is. See the way that Jesus approached situations and circumstances and compare it to the way that you do it. The Bible says that in Amos that the Word is like a plumb line. It's a measuring device. We can compare what the Word says to the way that we say, that the things that we say. And then it says... To be made new in the attitude of your mind and put on the new self created to be like 
God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. And summarising that, it's a recognise, reject, replace. So we recognise those thought patterns in our life that are not godly. We reject those and then we replace them with what God's word says. When we do that, your feelings follow the way that you think. Okay? Feelings always follow thoughts, not the other way around. Thoughts don't follow feelings. If you're feeling bad, it's because you've got bad thoughts. Okay? So if you want to change the way that you think, if you want to build honor into your life, Start to ask the Holy Spirit to change the way you think about people, about situations, about circumstances. Honor starts with a change of mind, but it results in a change of heart. And changing our heart is something that we can't do. You can't change your own heart, let alone your spouse's heart. You can't change somebody else's heart. Only God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can do that. And he is the one who softens our heart as we cry out to him. He wants us to have a sound mind, a strong mind, a changed mind, so that we can demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, so we can take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's a strong mind. That's a strong mind. And as we change the way we think and speak it out, we're going to change the way that we feel because this will result in us being soft-hearted towards God and others. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. As we seek to honour God, as we develop a culture of honour in our lives, you're going to find that God is going to change our hearts. And having a mindset of honour moves our focus and our thoughts from ourselves to those around us because honour is not about receiving. Honour is about giving. And we are passing on what we have already been given. If I was to take $20 out of my wallet and give it to John and say, John, why don't you just have a look around and find someone that you think uh, deserves this $20 and give it to them, would it cost John anything? No. He's just passing on what's already been given to him. Would he be happy to do it? He'd be ecstatic. He wouldn't feel down. But being used to bless somebody else is always great. Makes you feel real good. And that's what's happening. When we honour, we are passing on what has already been given to us. Our culture places a lot of emphasis on the external, but we And we tend to value what's on the surface. But God looks at the heart. 
And this morning, God is wanting us to recognize that there are areas of our heart, there are areas of the way that we think that don't line up with his word. And he's wanting us to do that, recognize, reject, replace, and come to him and say, God, I need help. I need you to come in afresh and touch my heart and soften my heart and help me to think and help me to treat others the way that you treat us. It's amazing that when you start doing that, you'll begin to see people and instead of seeing their obvious shortcomings and focusing on them, you'll start to see the God potential within them. And God's created each of us to be coaches, to be encouragers, to pick out the best in the people around about us and help those around about us develop into everything they can be. And as we learn to grow and honour and release honour to others, we're going to change the atmosphere around about us. In Luke chapter 7, in fact in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, all the writers of the Synoptic Gospels tell the one story of a woman who was a prostitute who came to Jesus, fell at his feet, washed her, his feet with her hair and her tears and poured out incredibly expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. And it's interesting that Jesus commenting on this said to the person who owned the house who was complaining that this expensive ointment should have been used to perhaps feed the poor or something like that. Uh, Jesus says to him uh, in verse 45, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. When she walked into that room, that woman, despite her past, changed the atmosphere in that room. And that's what we should be like. When we walk into a room, we have the power of the Godhead within us and we should be able to change the atmosphere by releasing honour and blessing and love in that situation. How does that sort of thing work? Let's have the musicians just come up. I left the dairy company in 1988 to become a minister, and one of the, my immediate go- boss was a guy by the name of Matt Calvert. He wasn't a Christian, but I had lots of opportunities to show him the Christian lifestyle, and his wife was a Christian, and uh, I built up a really strong relationship with him. It wasn't very long after I left that Matt became a Christian. Those of you who have been involved in the dairy company will know that back in 1988, all of milk collection was uh, during the daytime. And uh, so tanker drivers used to turn up at the farms early in the morning and then they'd turn up late at night, uh, not too late at night, and basically all the milk around the country uh, was collected in that way. In fact, one tanker driver would do 400,000 kilometres a year of travel. In an effort to improve efficiencies and basically make the most of the nearly billion dollars worth of assets that the dairy company had in their tankers. 
the dairy company hierarchy decided that they would introduce night collection. In other words, instead of just stopping at five or six or seven o'clock at night, they would continue to collect milk from the farmers all the way through the night. And of course, this was going to incredibly change the way that tanker drivers did things. This was going to change the way that they related at home because they would be on day shifts and they'd be on night shifts as well. And this was a move that was greatly opposed by the workers and the unions, but they didn't have much of a choice in this situation. About a year after night collection was introduced, a tanker driver uh, operating out of Tirapa, uh, we think, went to sleep on one of those long straights, ran into a ditch, and was killed. And of course, this absolutely fired up the union and the workers. Uh, this was a situation they blamed his death on the company, and they were all ready to walk off the job. They were going to strike for weeks. This was a really, really difficult situation. And uh, my friend Matt was called to address the meeting at Tirapa, where all the workers and all the tanker drivers and all the unionists were, were the gathered, uh, and they were ready to absolutely crucify this guy. They were ready to take out and vent all of their anger on this one person at this one meeting. He walked into the meeting and you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. It was just so tense. And Matt, who hadn't long become a Christian, looked at all the people and decided that the first thing that they should do was honour God. And amongst this bunch of heathens, I say that nicely, who were baying for blood, Matt stood up in front of them and said, why don't we start this meeting by praying? And that's what he did. He got them all to shut their eyes and bow their heads, and he prayed. And he prayed for the family, and he prayed for God's blessing and wisdom on that meeting. You know what happened? Heaven came down. There was just such a sense of the peace of God came into that meeting. It absolutely transformed the atmosphere and changed the direction of what would have been a pretty testy and pretty ugly situation. You see, when you honor God, when you put Him first, He has a way of bringing heaven into your situation and your circumstances. And it doesn't matter what you're facing. We can bring heaven to earth. We can change the atmosphere as we develop a culture of honor in our lives. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We should smell of Jesus Christ. 
we should be a perfume jar, as it were, of the presence and the love and the acceptance of Jesus. So that when we walk into a room, everything changes. And Jesus' Holy Spirit flows out from us. Every one of us are on a journey. Every one of us are at different stages along the pathway to developing a life and a culture of honour. But every one of us can take a step towards being more honouring. So why don't we just bow our heads right now. And so Lord, we just ask, Lord, we just pray right now that God, you would just show us areas in our lives where we are less than honouring to you, where we are less than honouring to our family, where we are less than honouring to our workmates, to those that are placed above us, to those that we have responsibility and authority for. God, we want to be that vessel that changes the atmosphere in every room that we walk into. God, we ask that you would just show us what we need to do to grow in honor. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with us this morning?